0: You know, I'm constantly blown away with the faithfulness of God all over the life of our church. And I've always said that I want to attend, I want to be a part of, I want to work at a church where we tangibly get to see the evidence of God at work. And what's incredible in the life of our church is you can see God at work at all four of our locations. God is moving, he's bringing people to himself, and it's just amazing to be a part of it. And so for all of us, our campuses, those of you watching online, welcome home, and welcome to the family, and I don't know about you, but I just, I, I, I look forward to Sunday morning. I look forward to being together with our family, singing praises, diving into God's word, and so I, my prayer for you as an individual is that this place would really feel like a family to you. Um, it could be easy to get lost in a crowd, but that you're known and you are loved and you are cared for. And so to everyone, welcome to the family, welcome home, welcome to Northridge Church. We're honored to have you here this morning. If you got your Bibles, Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7 is where we're going to be this morning. You jump into the Northridge Church app and you can take notes along. And as you kind of make your way to Acts chapter 6 and 7, if, if I think back long enough, I'll make it to my high school days. And one thing that I loved about my high school days was the sports that I played. I played four sports in high school, and one of my favorite ones was basketball. And in my junior year of high school, we had a phenomenal basketball team. Our team was almost unbeatable. We we were just cruising through the season, and about three-fourths through the season, we were 20 and 0. No one could beat us. No one could touch us. And, and yet we were from, I'm from a very small town called Gelton, Pennsylvania. You, you can Google it. It probably won't be on the map. Like my best friend, were, my best friends were deer. Okay, that's how rural of an area it was. But for some reason, we had this combination of, of players that made a really amazing basketball team. And word began to spread until an article was produced in the state of Pennsylvania. We were ranked number one in the state of Pennsylvania for basketball. And so, yeah, it was awesome. It was crazy. And As like a high schooler, we were like, we've arrived, guys. Like, we are untouchable. We are invincible. Until three games later, we lost. And not only did we lose, but we lost to a team that we would have beat 10 out of 10 times. We lost to a team that we should've beat by 20 or 30 points. And I remember sitting in that locker room with my teammates and we were all wondering what just happened. How, How do we lose to that team? Our coach walks in, he's frustrated and he looks at us and he says, guys, did you think this was going to be easy? Do you you think that every team that saw that ranking would just come in here and roll over because you're the best team in Pennsylvania? He says, guys, that ranking put a bullseye on this team. And now every team that plays us wants to beat us that much more. So you better be ready. Opposition is coming. You better be ready, team, because opposition is coming. You see, the same is true for you and I. When we choose with our life to follow Jesus, when we choose to to put our faith and belief and we confess with our mouth that Jesus died for us and, and rose again, what happens is the enemy puts a bullseye on your life. He puts a bullseye on your life and he will do whatever he can to oppose the things you stand for. He will do anything he can to get you and your testimony to drag Jesus' name through the mud. And we're gonna see this opposition that the early church faced and that we face today. We'll start in Acts chapter six. It says, now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power performed great wonders and signs among the people. Here it is, opposition arose. However, from members of the Synagogue of Freedom, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. So before we dive too far into the text, let me just give you a little background. You see, we've been studying the early church. Right, And the book of Acts, and we've seen some of their successes and some of their failures. And, and last week, we, we talked about church problems. That The church is an amazing thing because the church is full of imperfect people chasing after a perfect Savior. And so it's amazing that God uses imperfect, sinful people like us to do amazing things. But it also means that there's going to be problems sometimes in the church, And one of the problems the early church faced was when the the, the Jewish people were clashing in the early church with the distribution of food to widows. And so the apostles respond by appointing seven men to oversee the process. One of those men's name was Stephen. And Stephen in the early church at this time is growing in, in his influence and his leadership. In fact, the passage says that he was performing signs and wonders, and as his influence grew, so did the opposition because he's getting ready to face opposition in the life of the early church. And here's what's true. The early church faced opposition, and every church in between will face opposition. We're not void of that. You see, the church faces opposition. You and I, in in, in this century, in 2023, we will face opposition. People will push against us for what we stand for and what we believe in. In fact, the apostle Paul, he mentored a young pastor named Timothy. And look what Paul says to this young pastor. He says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And Aren't you glad you came today? And I feel all good, warm, and cozy? Like, yeah, following Jesus, you're going to be opposed. That's not exciting news. But if anybody knew persecution, it was the guy who wrote those words. His name was Paul. And Paul, for the name of Jesus, was beaten multiple times. Paul, for the name of Jesus, was thrown into prison. He was stoned. In Paul's calling, Jesus told him, for my name, you will suffer greatly. So the church, we are the church. It's not buildings. It's people, the church, will face opposition. And let me just talk about the types of opposition that we face. I believe there's three, ty- three types of opposition. The first is, is maybe the hardest. It's called friendly fire. This is the type of opposition that doesn't come from external forces. It comes from within. It's the type of opposition that we least expect because it comes from other religious people. It comes from people inside The church might come from your community group, might come from another local church. This is the type of opposition that Stephen is going to face. It didn't come from people who couldn't stand the name of Jesus. It came from other religious people. So sometimes you will face opposition from within. The second type of opposition is external fire. It's the opposite of friendly fire. It's opposition from without. The outside forces... Can I tell you, church, today, sometimes the world, our culture, stands in opposition to things of God. There will be times where your faith and what you believe is pushed against from our culture. And so don't be surprised when, when people mock you for your faith and what you believe in. Don't be surprised when people call you intolerant or bigoted or antiquated when you stand on the truth of God's word, because there are times where our world and our culture just completely disagrees with the ways and the beliefs of God. In fact, this happened in the book of Acts. If you skip ahead to Acts chapter 19, there was this city called Ephesus. It was like the New York City of that time period, and and Christianity is growing like wildfire in Ephesus to the point where it's actually hurting businesses. You see, there were businesses in Ephesus that would sell wooden false gods that people would buy and put in their house because they wanted the blessings of God. And so Christianity is spreading so much that this business is losing money. They're ticked because no one's buying their false idols anymore. And so what do they do? They start a riot screaming, great is Artemis, a false god, to get people to turn away from Christianity to come back and buy their idols so they can put money in their pockets. Because sometimes in the world, in our culture, it pushes against the very things that we believe. It's external fire. The third type of opposition is demonic fire. Church, we have an enemy. An adversary is the devil. He is the devil, and he will do whatever he can to oppose you. He will do whatever he can to drag Jesus' name and your life through the mud. But I think it's really important to pause here for a second because I think when opposition comes, there's a lot of times where the church labels something our enemy when it's really not. Just because the world opposes the things of God sometimes doesn't mean the world is our enemy. The truth is, church, the world isn't our enemy. It's our mission field. And we are called to go even to people who oppose us with the love of God because the love of God is the very barrier breaker that we can tear down the walls of the world and see the truth. And so we are called to love the world, but we do have an enemy. He is the devil. And look what Paul says. He says, be alert. Be of sober mind. Why? Because your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion, waiting to devour you. And all he needs is an inch. All he needs is just a crack in your life where he can whisper lies where he can use your weakness against you to ruin your testimony, to ruin your faith, to drag Jesus' name through the mud. And so the truth is, the church, we will face opposition. And we're gonna see it right here in the early church through a guy named Stephen. Verse 11, it says this, then they secretly persuaded some of the men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. So this Jewish group begins to lie about Stephen. They produce false testimonies about him and so they seize, they arrest Stephen and they bring him before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was just this ruling body of Jewish religious leaders who would listen to things, accusations like this and they would rule on them. And so Stephen stands before this Jewish Sanhedrin and at the top of the Sanhedrin was the most important person in all of Judaism. He was known as the high priest, the most powerful Jew here. And so they make these false accusations about Stephen and then the high priest looks at Stephen and he asks this question. He says, are these charges true? Stephen, you've heard what they've said about you. You've heard the accusations that they're making about you. Are they true? And the question is, is what would Stephen do? Would he defend himself? Would he remain silent? How do you respond to opposition? And maybe that's a question we have to wrestle with. When opposition comes in in my life and in your life, because the Bible says it will come, you will be persecuted, how do we respond to opposition? What's the godly way to handle it? Well, I think Stephen gives us a great example of how we should act in the face of opposition. Opposition. And what's interesting is if you read Acts, for the next 49 verses, Stephen gives this dissertation where he backs his faith up, where he gives a history lesson to this Jewish ruling body about the history of Judaism in the Old Testament. And in this defense, I believe Stephen shows us Five ways that we should respond to opposition. I would encourage you to read those 49 verses, Acts 7, 1 through 50. It would be really powerful for your life this week. But in his dissertation, I think a couple things we see in Stephen's life. The first one, in the face of opposition, Stephen never wavered from the truth. In the face of lies, in the face of false accusations about him, Stephen's faith never wavered. Stephen never, in the moment, was like, oh, am I sure I believe this? No, he stood on the truth. Why? Because he had deep roots. He had deep roots in what he believed and why he believed it. And I think it's really important and really challenging for us as Christ followers to establish and grow deep roots in our faith. You see, some of you today, you've been following Jesus, and you're new. You're new to the Bible, you're, you're new to, to Christianity, all you know at this point is like, hey, I believe in what Jesus did for me, and I, I want his grace, and you've been following Jesus for maybe six months, or a year, or two years, and at this point in your faith journey, you still have shallow roots. And that's okay, everybody started there. But what I wanna encourage all of us to do in our walk with with God is we need to continue to grow the roots of our faith because there will be time where persecution comes, where trouble hits, and you don't wanna be blown over by those moments. In fact, look what Mark says, it warns us of this. It says, others were like seeds sown on rocky places. They hear the word and at once they receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. We don't want to be those types of Christians that only worship God when it's good for us, but when it gets hard and people challenge us, we waver from the faith. Sure, you're going to have doubts and questions, but in the midst of those doubts and questions, continue to grow deep roots, so you won't waver like Stephen. Not only did Stephen not waver, but he was also able to defend the truth. Stephen not only looked at this religious body, he he didn't just say, this is what I believe. He was able to back it up with evidence. You see, in Christianity, we don't just follow some fairy tale that we feel really good about that makes our life feel good. No, the truth is, is Jesus is alive. And there's a lot of evidence that points to the fact that Jesus is alive. But can I ask you today, if someone were to challenge your faith, if someone were to ask you why you believe in Jesus, would you be able to defend it? Would you be able to stand up against our culture and the things they push back on you? Look what Peter says, he says, always be ready. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. says, we have to be prepared, Christians. Church, we have to be prepared because people are gonna ask questions. Do we know the answers to them? If someone were to question the existence of God, the deity of Christ, the resurrection of Jesus, or the truthfulness of Christianity, if someone were to ask you why you believe what you believe, would you be able to defend it? And and listen. Hear my heart, I don't ask you those questions to make you feel bad. I ask those questions to challenge you, to move you to a place where you can defend your faith. When questions come, you are ready for them, because here's what I know. A lot of times, those questions don't come from opposition, they come from curious ears. Can I tell you some of the hardest questions that I have to answer about the Bible? Do you wanna know where they come from? My children. I think sometimes it's because they don't wanna go to bed. Right, at night, my oldest daughter, Joelle, like she throws out some haymakers, and I'm like, listen, go to bed, honey. Daddy's not ready for this. Email me, okay? Today's parent-child dedication And parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, we have curious ears that want to build their faith. And as moms and dads and grandparents, we got to be able to answer our little children's questions. We don't look at them and say, no, you just believe that. No, we don't want them to just believe that because there's generations who have walked away from the faith because parents have told them, oh, just believe it. We have to build foundations, and part of building foundations in little kids and curious ears is being willing to answer their questions, being ready to do that. Stephen didn't waver from the faith, and he could defend his faith, and not only could he defend it, but third, he challenged others with the truth. I love this about Stephen, as he was a fighter. He was scrappy. And while he defended his faith, he called people blind to it to see it. He challenged their belief while he defended his own. In fact, look, look at this moment. It's my favorite moment in this whole passage. Stephen gets a little bit uh, fighty. He says this. He says, you stiff-necked people. Like one point for Stephen, zero for the Sanhedrin. Okay? <laughs> your hearts and your ears are still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed the one who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was given through the angels, but you have not obeyed it. See, Stephen just didn't defend his faith. He looked at people who challenged his faith and said, you're the one missing it. You're the one who can't see straight because you know what? You you longed for the Messiah. You you, you even have predictions from prophets that you've persecuted. You longed for the Messiah and he's come and you are the one who murdered him. You missed it. You're so good at at being religious. You're so good at knowing the rules and, and obeying the law or knowing the law that you're missing out. So he challenged people with his defense. So he didn't waver. He defended his faith. He challenged others with it. But the most moving thing to me about Stephen facing opposition is he was ready and willing to give up everything for the cause of Christ. You see... What's what's so uh, mind-blowing and so challenging to me is here Stephen, in the face of opposition, was ready to lay his life down for the name of Jesus. And all throughout the history of the church, from the early church to today, we have story after story of people who were so bought in, so sold out to Jesus that they would be willing and ready to say, God, I'll die for you. God, I'll surrender my life for you. That is who Stephen was, because in this moment, in his response, he's going to have to give his life in defense of the opposition. Look what happens. This is when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this. They were furious. They gnashed their teeth at them. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. In the middle of all this, Stephen still has his eyes on Jesus, saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I've seen heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, the religious people, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. So in the midst of the lies about him, In the midst of the false testimonies about him, Stephen is ready and willing to give up his life. And it it makes you ask the question, would I? Would you? I mean, are you so in love with Jesus and what he did for you that you would be willing to give up everything for him? And I don't know about you, but if you don't know what a stoning is, what they would do is they would tie you up and they would pick up stones and they would just throw them at you until you died. Blow after blow, rock after rock. Stephen was ready to surrender it all for the sake of Jesus. And in the middle of that, the fifth thing he did was he showed grace and forgiveness to the very people killing him. Think about this, they've lied about him. They're charging him for something he didn't do. They're chucking rocks at his head and his body. And how does Stephen respond? He says, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. There he fell asleep. Is that how you treat the people who oppose you? Stephen, who is being killed as an innocent man, in the midst of dying, says, God, don't hold this against them. God, forgive them. I mean, how could he do this? How could he live this way? Well, Steve had an example of this in his Savior. He's just following the footsteps of Jesus because the reality is when Jesus hung on a cross for you and I, when he bore the wrath of our sin and our shame and our guilt, what did Jesus say? Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. What's amazing is how Stephen responded to opposition. The truth is, is we will face opposition. I wish today I could tell you it's going to get easier, but honestly, in our culture today, church, it might get worse. And the truth is, is, is did you know that the church in China is actually praying that the church in America would face persecution so it would wake up? so that it would feel what it means to walk with God so closely that you'd be willing to surrender everything. But here's the craziest part. In all of this, as Stephen faces this opposition, I believe God used Stephen's example to change, to to, to start the process of changing a man's life that would change the church forever. Don't miss this. Look what happens right before they go to stone Stephen. It says, meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. You see, in in, in Jewish customs, anytime you were going to stone somebody for a crime, it had to be approved by a religious leader, a Pharisee. And so, what they would do is they would lay their coats at the feet of that religious leader who was approving the stoning of that person. And so, in this moment, the the people are laying their feet at a religious leader's named Saul. You might know him better as Paul, because Paul wrote two thirds of the New Testament. Paul, remember who who told this young pastor named Timothy, you better be ready because persecution will come. You see, I believe God used Stephen's story, his example to begin the process of softening Saul's heart for what Jesus was going to call him to. So church, we are going to face opposition. How are you responding to it? And maybe in the face of opposition, God isn't just using it in your life, but he's using it for the people watching you through it. How are you responding? Let's pray together. You know, God, it's so easy after a message like this to just pray, God, help us in the face of opposition. And yes, God, we we desperately need that. But God, today I just pray for the people who are opposing you. I pray for the people in our culture and our city who still don't see the truth. And God, I pray that you would use this church through our response to the opposition that they bring to us, to our church that they would see such a godly example, that it would be the very thing that breaks down the walls in their life, that they would see Jesus as gracious and loving and kind through our testimony. Help us to be that church, Father. In Jesus' name.